Hi, everybody out there. Welcome to the latest edition of Volley. I'm Carolyn April, and as always, I'm looking for my good buddy, Seth Robinson. Seth? Hey, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm good. We uh, had a good time at ChannelCon last week. I know we previewed that last time, uh, and it seemed like it went really well. I was kind of stuck in my room emceeing the Future Trends track the whole time, uh, but it sounded like your two sessions went well, and everything that I heard from the conference seemed like it uh, was a good one. Yeah, I think so. Uh, I, I think it went really well. Um, we haven't had it in D.C. in a number of years, and that was kind of nice. For I, li- I like to go to D.C., even though it's muggy in the summer. But, yeah, my sessions went well. I thought overall the conference moved along really well, and there was a lot of good content. And uh, I'm sorry that you were stuck in one room. I should have come and visited you, but I didn't, and now I feel terrible. But You did once. Did I poke my head in there? I did. Yeah, okay. yeah you came right. by one time, so you don't have to feel guilty. Okay, I won't. <laughs> good, good. <laughs> so, well, we're at, well, so another one, you know, under our belts, I guess, uh, for the year. We won't have to think about ChannelCon again for another 12 months. Yeah, yeah, on uh, to Vegas again next year for yep. that one. So that, that that's always interesting. There's always, uh, you know, kind of that Vegas energy, and it usually draws in a few more people. So it'll be interesting to see what happens next year. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Another thing that we touched on a little bit last week was Facebook and their earnings and some of the struggles that maybe they're starting to have, or not struggles, but just challenges that I think they're facing as they grow to great scale and they're kind of realizing what it means to be at that scale. And then this week, uh, I know you and I talked a little bit about the news out of New York where they're putting the cap on ride sharing. And so maybe... You know, we're starting to tap the brakes a little bit on that whole technical endeavor and those companies that have started up in that way. And I think both of those topics are kind of at this intersection of technology and humanity or society, which we've touched on, you know, here and there throughout the podcast. But today uh, we have someone that's joining us that I think can speak to that in even more detail. Uh, So we are really happy to welcome Bryn McCoy. She is the founder of Lux Lab, which is a design collective that's looking at how exactly do we make these technology products so that we are incorporating human values, incorporating the values that we want. Uh, And like I said, I think that'll fit right into a lot of the discussions we've had. So Bryn, thanks for joining us. Hello. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Welcome. Did I get the description of Lux Lab right? Is there anything that you'd like to add to the work that you all are trying to do? I know that this is very early stages for you. That's right. It is early, and I think you did a fantastic job describing what we do. We're product design focused and really looking toward you know human values. Uh, human-centric design has been an important factor in the work that we do for quite some time now. And um, it's, it's really effective for solving the right problems and building successful products. And I think there's some new things on the landscape now uh, as we're getting into different types of interfaces and different types of intelligence and, and, and what that means. And uh, we've been you know, working with this bleeding edge of technology and starting to notice some patterns and really just looking to prioritize decision making with the new technologies you know that are really just serving humans the best that we can and still solving those right business problems as well. 
Well, when you talk about technology that aligns with human values, can you can you go into a little bit more detail on what you mean by that, and maybe talk a little bit about what sort of products we're talking about here as well? I think that as humans, you know, we're all probably familiar with just you know hierarchy of needs and. You know, when we do design research for products, you know, a lot of times we engage in ethnography, uh, some kind of scenario where we really spend time with people who are representative of types of people who may use these products. And we understand, work to understand um, you know, how they're living their life, where there are problems, obviously work toward you know getting toward the the realm in which our product might fit into solving those problems but that process you're always trying to get deeper and deeper into understanding why people do what they do um, why they go about this process in the way that they do and when you ask those whys enough times you know three or four times just a little deeper a little deeper trying to understand what's underlying this decision making you realize that you know everybody is really just trying to be a better version of themselves. And this comes up, you know, when you're you know, trying to be more productive and do a better job and some of the tools you might use. This comes up a lot um, in e-commerce and you know, particularly, you know, consumer goods, uh, you know, fashion, apparel. We focused a lot of our work in that space and, you know, just the way that people choose to express themselves and represent themselves and, you know, what these goods mean that they're buying. Um, you know, there's, there's really some depth to that once you dig into the heart of the matter. Mm. And, and the way that, you know, when you kind of back back out then into, okay, what does this mean for product? You know, in the case of e-commerce... I think e-commerce and marketing, you know, at least in you know, our community, I'm in Chicago, we've had a, a lot going on in, in that space uh, for digital products. And you know, personalization has been, you know, getting deeper and deeper and really trying to, you know, make the right recommendations so that people, you know, truly come across things that, you know, maybe they're looking for, maybe they didn't know they were looking for it, but it really resonates with something meaningful for them. Um, you know, that comes up a lot in e-commerce. For marketing, um, it's interesting, a lot of the cutting edge technologies and being able to sense people's emotions from you know, facial expressions, from tone of voice, you know, sometimes from biometrics and wearables, you can really understand how media, how marketing is impacting users and be able to make some adjustments to, to better connect, you know, with messaging. So, you know, some of these places are really pushing the envelope in, in technology and getting pretty deep about how to connect with those human values. In your experience, I, I'm, I'm wondering if there is a difference that you see or, or what differences you see when we're talking about a technology product versus maybe some other kind of product or a physical product. I, I guess I have two thoughts kind of going in my head at the same time. One is that technology uh, sort of as an industry has some unique characteristics that we've seen in its its relatively young life that are that are making it different than some other industries uh, and so i think there are parts of technology that almost would have steered it towards like a commodity like you know electricity or gas or whatever i think it's been more resilient than that and it, it has some platform qualities that keep it from being completely commoditized 
and then at the same time, I think as technology is growing and, and becoming a platform and becoming more and more entrenched in our lives in different types of products, I feel like maybe there's beginning to be a gap in some areas, and maybe some of those are, are more software-related, where some of these design principles that you've talked about aren't always getting thought about. What the, the primary concern for a lot of people that are building technology products is the technology, and you know, is this thing doing you know, the, the most whiz-bang job that it can? Is it, is it unearthing something new? Is it allowing us to do something different with the technology? And they're maybe not always asking those questions. And so, you know, what are the unique characteristics that there are? And then should there be a little bit more asking of those questions that you are saying should typically get asked when a product is getting designed? Well, yeah, I think that, I think there, there are parts of technology that are and have been commoditized. The, the infrastructure and the means of doing all this rapid processing, right? I think it's that that has gotten more powerful, more affordable, more ubiquitous. That has enabled the doing some of the software work that requires that sort of intensity in processing. And when we're talking about the amount of work to go through tons of data to actually find some sort of interesting pattern that's a signal that may lead to an insight we wouldn't have come upon for quite some time or ever, you know, as a, a human or a team of humans evaluating all that data. That whole process is enabled because how the infrastructure has been commoditized, I think. And then I think that some of the opportunities and and this work is is really continuing to span more problem solving and to just have more of a presence. I mean, you know, software, smart software embedded in physical goods, you know, that's been growing. And I think that it is growing because it is helping solve some problems in interesting ways. And not always. I mean, there's definitely, you know, some things where it seems like it's, you know, got some bells and whistles and technology just for technology's sake. But the things that last, the things that, you know, can sustain a business and and grow, I think they're solving meaningful problems and you know making things more capable. And a great thing about software in comparison to the physical goods, I mean the software, you are continually iterating that. It's still malleable even after it's shipped and it's you know harder to do that with with physical product but i think that you know the work that we're doing to try and and really understand solutions to meaningful problems um, is a big driver to why this product succeeds and and you know why people adopt it and and you know want to have you know a smarter refrigerator or you know more intelligence in their car you know it could be um, making them feel safer could be you know making them feel more connected and it could be empowering them you know to do a better job at, at things that matter to them so I like that and I see um, I see all the positive attributes here that we're talking about and making people's lives either easier or um, they're getting their job done in a better way or they're feeling like the devices and the technology that they use is very personalized and customized for them and so they have a better experience. But on on the downside, I know that there's definitely, in order to get to that place, we're talking about some pretty deep looking at 
individuals and privacy concerns, I, I think, come up. And, and, and I know I was looking a little bit at some of the things that you wrote uh, in your pitch um, about what the company does, and you do a lot with artificial intelligence. And, and Seth and I have talked a lot about, you know, what is the, the, the line between technology being good and then technology maybe being almost big brothery and a little bit creepy in, in mm -hmm. some way. And so I, I'm curious how, how you approach that, um, because in order to get to the point you want to be with your products, that they are so aligned with the individual, you, you have to, I would think, almost have to take into consideration all of the particulars, and maybe individuals don't want to be encroached upon that that much. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a really good point. And with design work for user experience or you know, doing UX work, we're always trying to ensure that our products users are properly oriented in the product they you know they know where they're at they know what they can do from here and um, you know they feel empowered and confident about their capacity to drive this experience and you know those are central to this design discipline altogether and you know it's it should be no different when we're talking about you know working with AI or you know working with internet of things and just you know having greater connectivity or having some some more steps in d decision making you know having been made by a machine you know for a human i think an important part of getting it right is to ensure that if if an ai has taken the the liberties of decision making that you know there's some level of transparency so the user understands um, you know that these things are happening that this has been filtered in this way and really continuing to do that work to empower them to you know manage that situation differently if mm. they'd like to and i think that um, you know the more that we can build our products to, to be a partner to the product user where the, the user can opt in and curate you know the experience and and you know then you know how the underlying frameworks can help them and you know obviously some of that has to be abstracted there's a lot of, of technical detail and things there but I think there's there's just some some important points that could be clarified and it, it could be pretty simple uh, so that people feel as though they're they're clear on what's going on and they're in control of the situation to meet their own best interest great what are some of the specific challenges that you see with AI because as AI is beginning to roll out as people are talking more about it, as we're beginning to see it even in products, you know, like Skype or Google, where it's giving you suggestions based on the context of the message of how you could reply. One of the things that's coming up is the training of AI, that mm -hmm. none of these AI systems or machine learning systems uh, really, you know, exist in a vacuum. They have to be trained to kickstart their behavior. And I see on your website that you all are participating in a challenge from EthicsNet about what should that training look like and what are some of the factors that should go into it that maybe haven't been considered. So maybe you could talk a little bit about that as well as any other specific challenges that you see as AI is becoming more and more prevalent. Yeah, that is a that's a tricky part, right? You have to you have to start at the beginning and you know when you know just learning anything, I mean it's comparable to parenting and you have toddlers who may not be particularly capable, but they're cute, right? <laughs> so <laughs> that's why we keep them. <laughs> 
I think with with uh, with products, you know, I I try to balance you know, features that can be engaging and solve problems and, and you know, don't have the depends, t- dependency on the AI. And you, it takes a while. You have to get feedback. You have to, you're going to get some things wrong with, um, you know, the AI while you're figuring out the model. And I think it's kind of a balancing act. And, you know, just the way that, um, same thing, clarifying what's happening here you know, figuring out a way of of communicating to the users that, you know, this AI is intended to be helpful. We're just getting started. Uh, we need you to join us in this process and, and help move this along. And here's what it will ultimately mean for you. I think if the users understand what they stand to gain by, um, you know, working this out, then, you know, there's a level of commitment there. And you also have to be able to, you know, solve their problems, meet their needs, and, and deliver an engaging experience without the pieces that are not quite there yet. That makes sense. That sounds like life in general, really. So what do you see, Bran, as sort of the the biggest things on the horizon that are going to fit into your kind of world scheme here? And, and you know, so whether it's a technology or it's a design-focused th- uh, thing, um, but what trends do you think, say, five years out are going to be, or even fewer years out than that, or are, are, are you keeping your eye on? Yeah, I think that as a designer, when we take a look at uh, sort of the palette from which we work, I think obviously, and we're talking a lot about AI, this is going to continue to be more and more of a part of, of our toolkit. We're you know building experiences around this now that are just, you know, these AIs are very specific, very targeted, you know, driving a maybe smaller set of the process. Uh, that's going to continue to grow. I hope, I think that there's so much potential in just having a lot more support from all this intelligence. And then also, I, you know, I talked a little earlier on about being able to sense human emotion. And I think that's a really big driver and understanding how people feel about things. And, um, and sometimes I don't even know if people know how they feel about things. So yeah. having, you know, having these experiences that can sort of provide opportunities for people to reflect and to better understand themselves. And I think, you know, ultimately, it's kind of the holy grail um, in the in the product work that, that we set out to do is we have so much information now. We all have such busy lives. You know, we have all these things that are right in front of us that we're trying to do. And sometimes I think people are are you know losing sight of of the things that you know they really that really matter to them. You know, things that they just want to do with their life. You know, want to have as a mission. Um, and it might seem like it's fine if it's five years or ten years out, or I'll get to it later. But really being able to stay, you know, dialed into your own signal and and always be thinking about, you know, the steps that we take and the decisions that we make today and whether or not those are aligned with the life that we ultimately want to live and the person we ultimately want to be. It's kind of, it's become a little surprising to me that we're all just I feel like we're all truly so busy that we we kind of disconnect from that and in a lot of our day-to-day actions and I think you know the um that we're engaged with so much information and that we are 
um, so social with all this information. I think that there are ways of us you know, reflecting on ourselves and our lives a little better with it as well. I think these tools can help there. Um, I think that would be, you know, really amazing just to to kind of see something that, you know, when we're leveraging these tools for personal development and it's, you know, also for business development, but it seems like most things, you know, we're thinking about technology in the context of, of business or, you know, entertainment and, um, you know, thinking about it in a different angle seems like a fun, fun thing to do for a while. Mm-hmm. So to change topics here at the end, uh, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about what it's like to be a woman in technology and try to be starting up a new initiative because Carolyn has led research studies on diversity within the high-tech industry, and you know, to no one's surprise, the research has shown that there's, there's not a lot, but in individual pockets, like at a given company, people might think, you know, well, we're doing okay uh, at our diversity, but, you know, we realize it's a big problem. And, and obviously, not everyone can be doing okay, but then it rolls up to be a big problem. So, you know, mm-hmm. this has been a huge issue uh, for the tech industry for a while, for society in general. What are your experiences and, and what are some of the things that you see happening out there? What are some of the things that you think could still be improved? Yeah, that's a good question. I think there's certainly a lot happening, a lot of conversation, a lot of change in this space right now. And I think that people and organizations are are being you know, more intentional about you know, identifying opportunities to, to try and be more supportive of, you know, women in technology, women in business, you know, diversity in everything. And, and that's great. I think that, um, I think there are a lot of opportunities and, um, a lot of, a lot of places to engage and people interested in, you know, this experience of, of being a woman in this industry. And I think that some of the challenges, you know, are less about, um, you know, those doors opening and more about, you know, what happens mm-hmm. once you're inside. And, you know, when you have that seat at the table, I think, you know, early on, um, you know, when you have all these green fields, blue skies, it's great. Everybody's happy to be there and, and excited about the potential and the change. But I think that one of the things I'm always paying attention to just the process of design, the process of, of making, it comes from a place of vulnerability, really. And, and you have to take some bold steps. You have to put a lot of things out there, you know, ideas out there. You know, just go for things with uncertainty. And to, to feel comfortable, you know, doing that and being vulnerable, you know, there has to be this level of trust, you know, with your team and your supporters and that trust dynamic, that's the real challenging piece to, to figure out because it's easier to trust people that you feel that you know and understand. And, you know, with all these diverse experiences and backgrounds and perspectives, I think sometimes it's harder for people to, to feel that, you know, they're still open to these ideas when they don't really get it at this visceral level mm-hmm. and that there's there the, the doors can can close throughout that process and that's where people want to if if they're not comfortable 
with that difference in perspective and just staying the course and working through it, retreating back to, to what you know, to styles of work that you know, to people who communicate with styles that are you know familiar like yours, you know, that can be this safe ground and a place where people feel more comfortable being bold and taking those risks. And that's the piece that I noticed that I think is still a challenge in, you know, as a design leader and working with business leaders. I mean, that's even similar where there's just different styles of conversation, different styles of exploration. Um, and it can be hard to connect and, and it's a lot of work, you know, bringing people along and with, with the thought process and the making process. And I think similar gender and cultural things, you know, it's, it's trying to figure out how to continually connect and how to con- communicate clearly and how to bring those different styles together. And, you know, sometimes it works and, and sometimes, I mean, I think it's always kind of a struggle, but sometimes it just doesn't work at all. And, and that's what I see is, you know, the, the biggest thing to overcome in, in the work now and, and still, you know, in a lot of cases. And there's, I think, more women than there used to be. I was going to say in a lot of cases, I might be the only woman. Early in my career working in technology, a lot of times I was the only. Now it's, it's more diverse, but I would say, um, you know, the styles can still tend to skew you know, one way and, 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 you know, people will kind of shift and and be that chameleon to, to fit in with what the, the dominant style is. And that's not really bringing out the best in what we're trying to achieve in diversity. I think we, we truly need to stay open-minded and engage and, and be able to listen and participate you know, when we're coming into just a new mode of, of thought or exploration for the first time. Yeah, no, you're right. That's what we found in our research. It's not the the diversity piece is, you know, there are many companies are, are, are diversifying, but it is the what happens once you, as you said, go through the door and the inclusion piece and the culture fit and being open to things that aren't necessarily familiar to you. So that's that's totally mapped out in the research that, that we've done and that I've read elsewhere. So spot on. It's evolving. Hopefully, um, you know, over time, you know, we're all stronger, more creative from that greater inclusion as well. Yeah. All right. Well, it sounds like you're working on a lot of exciting stuff. Uh, and like I said at the the top of this, this is a discussion that I think has been kind of growing for us on the podcast and within CompTIA uh, and within the tech industry in general, that, you know, as as tech is becoming more and more pervasive and more and more powerful, are, are there some safeguards? Are there some things that we need to start doing to make sure that we're being responsible with it? Uh, and it sounds like you're on the leading edge of that. So thanks again for your time today. We really enjoyed having you. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. All righty. Thanks. All right. And Carolyn, uh, I will talk to you next time. Yes, you will. Have a good one. All right. You too.